Welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. This is our second episode of our podcast mini-series where we hear from women leaders in the securities finance industry on how they got started with their careers and what advice they would give to other women just beginning in the industry. I'm Brooke Gilman and one of the Boston chapter co-leads of Women in Securities Finance. I'm also head of client relationship management globally at ESEC Lending. And again, I have the pleasure of hosting another episode of the special series. Today, I'm thrilled to head over to London to hear from our London chapter leads, Harpreet Baines of JP Morgan and Ina Budraja from BNY Mellon. These two inspiring women launched the London chapter just before the global pandemic hit. They had many plans for in-person events and lots of networking and other opportunities, but quickly had to pivot to find new ways and new solutions to form the group in London and to facilitate networking as well as other opportunities for education and career growth. But they've been incredibly successful in doing all of these things during the pandemic. I'm excited today to introduce you first to Harpreet Baines. She is the global head of product for the agency securities finance business within JP Morgan. And Harpreet is also a member of the ISLA board of directors, as well as the Bank of England's securities lending committee. Thanks for joining us today, Harpreet. Tell us how you got started in the securities finance industry and how you ended up where you are today. So look, Brooke, I think it'd be fair to say that it certainly wasn't planned, but an opportunity that was presented to me eight years into my career at JP Morgan. And after much deliberation on my behalf at the time, I decided to take the leap and join the agency's securities lending business as a product manager in 2007. Until that point, most of the preceding years within the firm at JP Morgan, I'd spent in mostly corporate functions, financial control advisory, and then internal audit, where I had coverage for a large chunk of the businesses that make up our security services franchise today, including securities lending. So I did have some basic knowledge of the product, but my experience of financing transactions, you know, the makeup of the industry, legal tax, regulatory framework, business drivers, that was pretty much non-existent. In fact, I remember vividly sitting in front of the head of the business and my sponsor at the time had put me forward for the move, you know, really baffled as to why I was being presented this role. I couldn't reconcile what I believed I could bring to the table versus the written job requirements, which, as you know, as women, we take really seriously. And the response wasn't what I was expecting, right? Short and simple, potential, she said, and everything else you will learn. And this reply, Brooke, still resonates with me today for two reasons, at least. One, it highlights for managers and leaders that importance of remaining open-minded when you are scouting and hiring for talent. Still too often we see experience being overvalued and potential undervalued and a better balance between the two needing to be struck. You know, sometimes it does pay to pave it forward, you know, take chances on individuals and assess for how successful the employee could be in the future with the right investment in development and training. And then secondly, it serves to remind that those around you will often spot your potential well before you. Unfortunately, a common reason still as to why women tend to not say as much yes to career advancement opportunities is because of lack of confidence in their own abilities. So in short, if someone offers you a good opportunity, don't let it go because you feel that you're not prepared. But instead, please believe that it's being offered to you because you're more ready than you think. When I joined the team, Brooke, I really didn't foresee myself still being here 15 years later. Five years max, I thought, and then I'd be ready to move on. And that was based off the time spent in previous roles. That sort of felt right. But as it happens, the breadth and the depth of the role, 
the extraordinary backdrop of change that we've seen, it's meant that the learning journey for me has been as active as I needed it to be. And that for me is the most important barometer. Now, fortunately, during this time, I've also had the opportunity to move around the team in different roles, which has helped build up my specialist technical knowledge across many subjects before then expanding into more of the leadership roles. And as of now, since 2017, I've been responsible for managing the product globally for the business. Harpreet, knowing what you know now and having the experience that you do, what advice would you give to a woman who's just starting to develop her career? I could probably cite chapter and verse on advice that I'd give my younger self if I were to do it all over again. Look, last year we recorded a Wiss of podcast, right, Empowering Your Story, in which I specifically called out the importance of being more intentional with advocacy and not being too busy for leadership. I won't go into the same again today, but instead I'm going to take the opportunity to flag a slightly different point, which is don't feel compelled to have to think about your career journey as always having to be a straight line. It is okay to ditch that traditional concept of a career ladder, this notion of a one-way path that you're only meant to climb upwards and if you fall down the ladder, it's perceived as losing progress. And instead, maybe think of your career more of a game of snakes and ladders, right? Where you move around to go up and even have to accept that at times you take a few steps backwards in order to progress. Look, it's not a concept that's easy to embrace by everyone. If I take my own example, I battled with staying put in audit where promotion was within arm's reach versus entry into lending, which I viewed as a lateral move, right? With the added burden of retraining, rebuilding or credibility. And another reason people find themselves sticking to that chosen beaten path is because they don't know what else is out there. So this approach does require for a combination of individuals being curious, exercising self-initiative to explore alternatives, as well as good leaders presenting their people with mobility opportunities when they arise so that they can experience other parts of the business. And this then enables more informed choices to be made. And lastly, look, I do think that when you consider for that shift in mindsets that many are experiencing as a consequence to the pandemic, especially in relation to job satisfaction. You overlay that with the array of new roles that we see popping up because of advanced technologies that we will begin to see a change in the way that career progression is thought about going forward. And so just to finish off with a great analogy I came across, which I think sums up this notion quite well. Think of your career as like visiting a foreign country you have an itinerary, but be open to changes that might present themselves along the way. Thanks, Harpreet. That's another great analogy. I always want to remain open to new and unplanned adventures throughout my travels. Those are often the best experiences in life. Hopefully that also remains the same for your career progression as well. My favorite takeaway from your talk, Harpreet, is that potential is undervalued and experience is often overvalued. But importantly, if you think about it, if you have potential, everything else you can learn. I think that's wonderful advice, Harpreet. Thank you so much for sharing your career story and offering insight into some of the lessons you have learned along your journey. And next up, I'd like to introduce you to Ina Budraja. She is the EMEA Head of Securities Finance Product and Strategy at the Bank of New York Mellon. In this role, Ina is responsible for regulatory strategy, including ESG product development for securities finance, 
She's also a director on the ISLA board and a member of the Bank of England Money Market Committee, as well as the Bank of England Securities Lending Committee, where she's co-chair of the Bank of England's Money Market Code Subcommittee on the revision of the Money Market Code for Securities Lending. Wow, Ina, that is an impressive resume and quite a bit that you have going on and a lot on your plate. So thank you again for joining and tell us how you found your way into the securities finance industry. To give you background, I started my career as a lawyer, quickly moving in-house to work at Deutsche Bank initially, as I found myself attracted to the dynamic environment, really, of working in a bank. And this is going back quite some years ago. So without giving away my age too quickly, I'd say things have moved on tremendously, both in private practice and in financial services, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, right? So at the time, I saw little to no representation in legal private practice of people who looked like me, and it really mattered. And I mean, it's some decades ago, let's say, and I saw women making partnership, having to make some really compromising choices around family. And at the stage that I was, I couldn't see a fit for my cultural identity and the broader cultural expectations on me at the time, if I'm honest. So, I mean, I caveat that with the fact that things have changed significantly over the years and law firms look very different today. So credit to them for all the work they've been doing to create a diverse workforce and to retain and grow that talent. But for me, having done a short placement in a bank at that time, it was immediately appealing to me that this was an environment that was internationally mixed. There was significantly more gender diversity even back in those days and somewhere I could essentially fit in. So in my legal role, I initially covered short-term financing and liquidity, including derivatives, money markets and repo and equity finance, moving over time to assuming responsibility for securities finance legal at State Street some years later. And over the course of my legal career in securities finance, I would say I was lucky in the sense that, you know, those were the years of building the business at DB and then later at my role at State Street. It was a time of building the book, engaging with clients, adding new client types and jurisdictions. And I was really able to become an integral part of the business deal team at the time, included as part of their client engagement in RFP pitches. And I had the opportunity to travel extensively with the sales team to meet clients and also to meet with local regulators in various jurisdictions to advocate for securities lending and collateral products. So it was a really interesting period, and I was able to learn firsthand about how client engagement really works, what clients are looking for in a partner, and what trust really means when you're building that partnership. Whilst I've been illegal, I've been asked a number of times by the business whether I might consider moving into the first line. And there were definite reasons why I wanted to take that opportunity. And I'd seen many people do that, move into the first line of defence. First and foremost, it was a fantastic group of people within that business. However, I had real reservations at the time about leaving a great legal role, which I felt so invested in and loved doing. And I was quite conservatively risk averse, I'd say, when it came to my own career path. Also weighing up my care role with two young children at the time and the fact that their well-being hung in the balance if I were to make any changes in my role and my commitments. And looking back, I think I could have had more faith in my own ability to embrace change and evolve personally. But you learn more about yourself as you walk through life, I guess. However, I did eventually decide to take that leap and move into the business. The opportunity to pivot arose almost naturally following the global financial crisis. 
when the crisis hit, at least from a legal and regulatory perspective, things became incredibly interesting. The robustness of our contracts were tested, our processes were tested, and we were really able to identify the strengths in our people and our product. So following the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis, we're all familiar with the extensive global regulatory changes that started to take shape. And I moved into the securities finance business then, creating a first-line defence industry and regulatory affairs role within the line of business. And that was with the intention of defining a strategy to really embrace those regulatory changes, to shape the business going forward and ensure that we were ready for the future, you know, able to serve our clients in the new world and, and seek out opportunity in that environment so that we could continue to be market leading. Subsequent to that, I moved to BMI Mellon around three years ago into the product and strategy role, where I continue to work on regulatory strategy, industry and regulatory engagement. And I'm very focused also on advocacy for our project and the markets we operate in. And most recently, I've taken on responsibility for ESG across some markets lines of business, really to embed an ESG lens into all our products as we face our clients with and to ensure from a regulatory perspective that we're in line with expectations and ahead of them where possible. And I guess one thing I'd really emphasize is that throughout my career, I've been able to use my core skills and build on them. And whilst I'm not always wearing that legal hat anymore, as it were, you never really take it off, right? So I've been able to leverage legal skills, especially analytical drafting and negotiation skills, and the focus on strong governance and controls within all the roles that I've been in. And that's been a source of my own inner confidence, which has helped me engage with top of the house management and with regulators and policymakers. So, Ina, in your view, what are some of the key pieces of advice that you would have for our listeners that might be starting out in the industry? In terms of what would be my advice to people starting their careers in this industry, I would really say it's maintain a wide lens. So, whilst you get busy doing your role and obviously placing the right amount of focus on that, Don't forget to look up and meet people, talk to people in different functions to your own and stretch your network as widely as you can. It's something that I really didn't know how to do until much, much later in my career. I mean, as a natural introvert, it just doesn't come easy to me, but it is so worthwhile. And there are fantastic, knowledgeable people in this industry with diverse skill sets. And every interaction is, at least in my experience, either an opportunity to learn something new, however small, or to share some of your knowledge. So reach out to people for conversations and connect, and people rarely say no when asked to share their perspectives and experiences. And the other piece of advice I would give is to keep learning, embrace change, be part of that change. You'll see you can influence outcomes by doing so, and however experienced you become, just don't stop learning, keep a growth mindset at the heart of your own personal development plan, and always remain current. The industry hasn't stopped changing since the financial crisis, and it's not likely to stop changing soon. We're seeing a huge evolution of financial services, and that means things just won't get boring. There's lots of scope to learn, to influence, and we can all be part of it. I know my kids hold their heads in despair when they see me taking on new courses and qualifications. They think I'm far too old to take exams. But I personally think education is a huge privilege. It's empowering. It's enlightening personally, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Keep educating yourself alongside any role you do. And don't underestimate the transferability of your skills. Look for new opportunities that might interest you and just don't be afraid to lead change and really follow your passion. On balance, you have to love what you're doing ultimately and your passion will inspire others. And and I found that to be the case for people that I've seen leading with passion. And on that point, I'd also say keep yourself purpose-driven. Take time periodically in your career to identify 
what is your own sense of purpose and then maintain integrity with it. It's not always easy to identify, but I think if you do, you will find the right organisation for you, representing a personal purpose and culture that's aligned with your own. And it's much easier to grow in an organisation that you're inspired by. And then turning to the key highlights that I would look back on in my career, I think I'd roll all the key highlights of my working life under one broad banner, and that's people. And there really are great people in this industry, lots of diversity and enthusiasm. And I think the highlight has been the opportunity to work with such collaborative and knowledgeable people, some really inspiring mentors, and equally to being able to mentor newcomers to the industry and support their careers as they've made their moves across functions and organisations. Another highlight has been the opportunity to establish the London chapter of Women in Securities Finance in partnership with Harpreet Baines at JP Morgan to really be able to work hand in hand with her to get the London chapter off the ground from zero to around 350 members just over two years and during a global pandemic. It's proved to be a challenge, but a hugely enjoyable and rewarding one, which I hope and we both hope has provided benefits to our members, especially being able to connect and meet new people in the industry where in-person meetings and conferences and events just haven't been possible. And finally, I'd also like to highlight just being lucky enough to work with the great team at the Bank of England to help introduce diversity and inclusion as a new theme in the UK Money Markets Code. And to be able personally to play a part, however small, in embedding industry best practice on diversity and inclusion for this industry on a permanent go forward basis. Ina, your story is very inspiring and to hear your perspective on the importance of diversity and inclusion is so valuable. So thank you. Having companies focus on ensuring they are diverse and have sufficient representation to allow people to find a cultural fit and be able to identify within the organization is so important. And as you know, from your firsthand experience, if an individual cannot see a cultural identity fit for themselves, they're not going to be able to thrive in that environment or perform at their best or grow within that organization. And good people may prefer to move on to other opportunities. Harpreet and Nina, thank you again for sharing your stories. You're both impressive leaders and you have given a lot of great advice and you have a lot to offer to our listeners. And I know that many other women in our industry look up to the both of you. So thank you. There's still more to come from other leaders of women in securities finance in the weeks to come. So please stay tuned to new episodes of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. And if you're not already an avid listener of this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please always feel free to reach out to women in securities finance, or if you are interested in starring in your own podcasts, don't hesitate to let us know. You can connect to us on LinkedIn or visit our website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.